Good morning. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ broadcast this morning, where we are engaged in the study of God's Word, and we are continuing to be about the business that the Lord wants us to be. We are engaged in study of God's Word because that's where we get the truth from. And I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8, where we're going to study from two particular passages today. One in John 8, and the other in John 9. On behalf of all the members of the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ, thank you so much for being a part of this day. The Lord's Day, when we come together to worship, and when we have the opportunity to uh, be involved in the things that God wants us to be involved in. I want us to talk this morning about I am the light of the world. And I was thinking about trying to give this particular sermon a better title and then I thought no I'm going to stick with I am the light of the world because that's the statement that is made by Jesus on two occasions first in John 8 and one then in John chapter 9, and I thought that Jesus' words stand for themselves and that there's no need for me to give it a better title. Jesus makes these two statements, first in John chapter 8 and verse 12, where he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We're going to come back and look at that passage in just a couple of moments. But I want to also read John chapter 9 and verse 5, where the Bible says, As long as I am in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Our study this morning has three major objectives. There's three things that I want us to explore in our study together this morning. One is I want us to appreciate what I would call the biblical nature of light by looking at two passages, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Then I want us to really delve into John chapter 8 and John chapter 9 and to understand the context in which Jesus makes this bold statement, I am the light of the world. And then I want us to have some ways to apply this, how we can be better aids in lighting a dark world and being the kinds of lights that the Lord wants us to be. I want to start with the nature of biblical light by going all the way back to the very first book and the first chapter and the first few verses of the Bible. Even our little children are familiar with Genesis chapter 1. And verse 1 is a quoted verse, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But I want to read the next four verses, beginning in verse 2, where it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Notice the word darkness that is used there, because the opposite of darkness is, of course, light. And it says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then verse 3, notice what is said. God said, as Moses, the lightly writer of the book of Genesis, Moses quotes God as saying, 
let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. The fact of the matter is, is note the first recorded words of the Creator Himself. In verse 3, let there be light. It's the first thing that God created. In addition to creating the world and the earth itself, He says, let there be light. Now kind of just hold that off to your side for a moment. And while you're doing so, open, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 1. Now, as good Bible students, you already understand where I'm going with John, chapter 1. But I want to read just a few verses to set the stage for this nature of light that we're talking about this morning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Again, there's this uh, discussion between light and darkness at the beginning. John then records in verse 6, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John, referring to the cousin of Jesus, John the baptizer. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. There is something to be said about the difference between darkness and light. And did you notice that the word light is used a number of different times in those particular verses? In fact, I count six times the word light being used in John chapter 1 in those initial nine verses that we read together today. I want us to appreciate the fact that light goes back to the beginning, to the beginning of the physical world and to the beginning of the ministry of Jesus himself, that he is light. In fact, in my Bible, the word light is capitalized to refer to Jesus Christ himself. Light is key to understanding the beginning and the beginning. The beginning of the world and the beginning of Jesus in his ministry on this earth. In fact, for that matter, he has always been the light. Well, that then brings us to our key text this morning. One in John chapter 8 and the other in John chapter 9. And I want us to appreciate the context of the two statements that Jesus makes. And I want us to start in verse 2 of John chapter 8. We're going to read these 11 verses very quickly. If you want to reread them on your own later this afternoon or perhaps this week in your own personal Bible study, I encourage you to do so. Now early in the morning, John 8 verse 2, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. They sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And then when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one continued? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, Neither do I continue. Go and sin no more. And Jesus spoke to them again, and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The fact of the matter is, is we need to appreciate three or four major uh, points in John chapter 8 in those first dozen verses. I want us to appreciate, first of all, that Jesus was about the business of teaching. In verse 2, it says that he was early in the morning in the temple with the people there, and he sat there and he taught them. We are to be about the business of teaching as well. But I want us to also know, and this will come to us later in our applications of this particular study, that in verse 3, the Pharisees, they were more interested in finding wrong in others than in seeking the spiritual welfare of themselves or trying to improve in their spiritual lives. We must never be men and women that are seeking to find the wrong in others. And all of us know people that are like that, people that are negative and people that are trying to find the wrong in you, people that like to point the finger without realizing that they themselves need to check their own eye for that beam that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount. I want us to also appreciate that the Pharisees were insistent and bothersome to Jesus in this particular text. In verse 7 it says, They continued asking him about stoning this woman. What an irritation that must have been for our Savior. But yet how patient he was, saying nothing, acting as if he didn't hear them, stooping down to the ground to write something on the ground with his finger. Jesus, we need to appreciate also, as a third or a fourth sub-point, recognize that this woman was involved in sin. Now he says in verse 11, I do not condemn you, but he also says in the second phrase, go and sin no more. The fact is, is Jesus recognized that the actions of this particular woman in John chapter 8 was that of sin. And we need to understand that sometimes we need to call sin out for what it is. That we can't be men and women who skirt over sin and act as if it's not that big of a deal. When indeed it is something that, according to Isaiah 59, separates us from our God. And then finally here in John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus spoke truth. And for the first of two times in his life, made the claim, I am the light of the world. We need to appreciate that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, after all of this has transpired. 
And he says it both to the woman and to the crowd that had gathered there on this particular occasion. I am the light of the world. And then he goes on to say, if you follow me, you shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. Well, let's go over to John chapter 9 and look at a series of a dozen verses there. So just kind of keep in mind the things that happened in John chapter 8 and the sin of that woman and how Jesus forgave her and told her to go and sin no more and then said, I am the light of the world. Now think about that in comparison to what happens in John chapter 9. And again, we'll read a dozen verses. We'll read them quickly. Come back and read them on your own this week if you choose to do so. Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was blind from birth in verse 1. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said, Go wash in the pool. So he went and washed and came back, saying, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this the one who sat and begged? And they said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. They said, where is he? He said, I do not know. I think it's interesting that that last verse, verse 12, that now that the man can see, he no longer sees Jesus. We need to be individuals who are healed by Jesus and who then continue to fix our eyes on him. I want you to note, first of all, that there is a difference in chapter 9 from chapter 8. What I mean by that is chapter 8 was a situation of sin, whereas chapter 9 was a situation of suffering. But then again, isn't it true that sin and suffering are connected together? And that's clear going back to the beginning. When Eve chose to sin and Adam chose to sin, there were a series of punishments that were laid out or dictated for both the serpent, for the woman, and for the man. And one of the things that was true for all of them is that they would all suffer as a result of our sin. The world in which we live today is a world that is replete with suffering where men and women suffer physically and financially and emotionally and in all kinds of other ways combined. And we need to understand that that suffering is a direct result of sin itself. But yet not in the traditional sense that these early followers of Jesus understood. They actually made the claim or asked the question, who sinned? They would have all been familiar with the notion of sin and consequence going back to the subject of Job generations earlier, who his own friends said, what have you done wrong, Job, that all these bad things have happened to you? 
How many people, I wonder, had passed by this blind man without giving him a second thought? But Jesus comes in chapter 9 and verse 1, and it says, As the Savior passed by, he saw the man, and then, as we read in the, in the subsequent five or six verses, heal the man. Sometimes, if we're not careful, we will pass by the very people that we are to be helping. I'm not talking about helping physically, though sometimes that's necessary to do. I'm talking about helping spiritually, always looking out for the welfare of others. One of the things that we've been talking about throughout 2020 in the work that we're doing here at Northwood Boulevard is finding those opportunities to talk with others about the Bible, to engage in spiritual conversations, to invite them to church services here at Northfield Boulevard, to help them understand the importance of changing their lives spiritually for the cause of Jesus Christ. The fact is, is the miracle that Jesus was to perform was for the purpose of revealing the, the, the works of God. Then, and only then, did Jesus utter the words, I am the light of the world. To the man who Jesus was healing, the idea of light would have been a foreign concept. Oh, sure, he may have known the difference between light and darkness, but the idea of being able to experience the difference with one's own eyes was something that is completely foreign to him. For he had been blind, the text says, from the day that he was born. I want us to think about one more thing before we move to our applications. And that is, I want us to remember that this man was required to go and to wash in order to be healed. What if Jesus would have put that mud on his eyes and the man said, I'm not going to go wash. I'm not going to go and do anything. Or what would have happened if the man would have said, well, I'd rather go wash in another pool that was closer to me or that was cleaner with water. What if he would have gone to a different body of water? What would have happened? Well, we all know the answer to that question. The fact is, is indeed, he would have remained blind as he had been from birth. But that's not something that the man did. He obeyed Jesus and was healed. One of the key things that we need to appreciate is that we live in a religious world that teaches that there's nothing that we actually have to do in order to please our God. That is the furthest thing from the truth because we actually have to be about the business of going and doing and being and changing and living for Jesus Christ because that's necessary in order to be pleasing to our God. Well, that brings me then to some applications that I want us to make. But before we get to the heart of those applications, I want us to look at two key passages because Jesus came to be the light. After all, he says, I am the light of the world on these two occasions. But he also came to ask each of us in accordance with that light to be lights to others. I want to look at two passages before we close this morning. The first is in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. The second is in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. 
I want to look at Matthew chapter 5, and I want to read just three or four verses here that you are likely familiar with. It's the Sermon on the Mountaintop, and Jesus has just concluded the Beatitudes. And he says in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And then verse 14, notice the key word of our, of our study this morning. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that it gives light to all who are in the house. And then the admonition, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says that we are to be about the business of being lights. Because after all, are we not to look like the Savior? Isn't it our goal that the more that we live and the, the more mature that we grow in service to our God, the more we are to look like our Father and the more we are to look like the Savior and to act like Him and to be like Him and to react like Him and to sacrifice like Him. And that means that we have to be the light because that's what we do in glorifying our God. Well, the second passage that I want us to consider is in Philippians chapter 2. It's a passage that we may not be as familiar with, but I want to read verse 14 and verse 15. Verse 14 is talking about the example that we set, the idea that we are to be different from the world in that we don't complain and murmur and dispute. In fact, he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. And the reason for this, verse 15, is this, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation so that among whom you shine as lights in the world. If I were to take these two passages and kind of delineate the major points or takeaways of Matthew chapter 5, Philippians chapter 2, two passages that teach us about the importance of being light in the way that Jesus is light, it tells me that number one, our good works must glorify God, not us. It's very easy for us, if we're not cautious, to take the compliments of others who are telling us about our integrity, speaking to us about our honesty, who are complimenting us for our good attitudes, and to say, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you for complimenting me. Rather, what we should do is say, you know what? That's what it means to serve God. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a faithful follower of God's word. Any of those responses would be better than saying, well, thank you so much because we want to reflect on God himself. So our good works must glorify God, not us. Secondly, I want us to appreciate that our attitude matters most of all. It reminds me of a man who I had a lot of respect for, who is since deceased. And I remember one time in a short Wednesday invitation talk, he got up in front of the entire uh, congregation along with a series of young men and women. 
and had each of them hold up the letters A-T-T-I-T-U-D-E from left to right. And he pointed out that attitude matters. And I thought, what an incredible uh, illustration of and the humility of these young people in teaching about attitude. Because our attitude matters. The attitude of the Pharisees was not good. In fact, it was downright rotten. They had a poor attitude, one that was void of everything that was uh, about Jesus and righteousness and purity. And instead, they were involved in a very selfish, self-oriented attitude. Our attitude matters. And thirdly, our examples must be different from the world. The Bible is uh, filled with passages like Romans chapter 12 that tell us about the importance of being different from the world. Rather than being conformed, we are to be different, transformed from the world. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. We are a peculiar people, Titus chapter 2, because we are different from the world. Our examples must be different. How can we provide light to a dark world? Because after all, we're reflecting Jesus, reflecting our Father, and we're wanting to provide light to a world. I want you to, in closing, and this week, or this month, or the remainder of this year, or the remainder of your life together, to consider four things that we can do to best light up the world. Number one, while others might pass by, let's be people who take notice of those who need and let's make sure that we act accordingly. In Galatians chapter 6, we are told that we are to not grow weary in doing good. And it also tells us that we are to do good unto all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. There is a special relationship that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And consequently, we need to be men and women who act accordingly. Notice I said act. I've underlined that in my notes, the idea of action. Because others passed by, but Jesus saw the blind man in John chapter 9 and said this man needed to be healed. Jesus, rather than seeing the determination to destroy the woman in John chapter 8, said, I'm here to help and to heal and to forgive. Let's be men and women who are, rather than ignoring those that need help, do what we can to provide them with the assistance that they desperately need. Secondly, never be individuals like the Pharisees who look for the worst in others or hope to find wrong in the lives of others. We've all known people that are negative in that sense, that are looking for ways to find wrong in you, to point the finger at you, and let's not be those kinds of men and women. Instead, let's be hopeful for the righteousness in others and do what we can to help others to see the righteousness of our Lord. Number three, let's make sure we are more concerned about sin than we are suffering. Sometimes we get so caught up in people who are sick, 
people who are dying. And those are important things. Those are things to be prayerful about. Those are things to be concerned about. Don't get me wrong. But we lose sight of the fact that what really matters is sin. That's the problem that we are facing. That is the biggest problem in the history of humanity. It's more important than any virus. It's more important than any homelessness. It's more important than any disease. It's more important than anything you can imagine is the idea of engaging in the fight against sin. And finally, always remember that we are to be different from the world and we are okay with that. You and I are different because we are Christians. We are different in the way that we conduct ourselves. We're different in the way that we talk. We're different in the way that we react to difficult situations. And sometimes that will cause us to stand out from the world. That's what we want. We want to be, as we quoted just a moment or so ago, the peculiar people that the Lord wants us to be. And he wants us to stand out from the world and to be different men and women so that others will be attracted to the Lord on our behalf. The fact is, is Jesus is the light of the world. That was true 2,000 years ago when he made those two statements. It is true today. It'll be true 2,000 years from now if the world still revolves and the world still exists. The fact is, is Jesus is the light. He will always be the light. And we need to appreciate the fact that He is the light that takes care of the darkness of sin that is around us. And perhaps this morning you are living your life in sin. And as a Christian, you need to make some sort of correction. That we are happy to help you, to pray for you, or to pray with you. Perhaps this morning you're not a Christian and you're watching this broadcast and you're saying, you know what, it's time for me to make some sort of a change. It's time for me to uh, be able to uh, mold myself or have God mold me into being the kind of person that he wants me to be. He's the light of the world and he can clear up all the darkness. We stand ready to assist you and ready to help you and ready to encourage you. And on behalf of all of us at Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ, we thank you so much for tuning in today.